0: November 30th, 2018.
1: February 23rd, 2014.
2: December 30th, 2015.
3: September 21st, 1996. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, with an average of 125 people dying by suicide each day. It's the second leading cause of death for those aged 15 to 34. And there's an immense groundswell of efforts right now for suicide prevention and mental health awareness. But what about the support for those left behind? According to the American Association of Suicidology, an estimated quarter million people each year become suicide loss survivors, with each death impacting six or more people. The following is meant to provide hope for those facing tomorrow without a loved one to know that you are not alone. Suicide has impacted my life five times, the first being September 21st, 1996, and that's a date that is forever frozen in time. I can vividly remember coming home from a night of mini-golf with my family, going into the living room, and hearing my grandma and my mom both tell me they got a call and that they needed to talk to me about something. And with that, I joined that quarter-million estimation.
0: It was a Friday. Uh, I was at school all day. And I got a text message from my mom asking if I had heard from my brother. And I said, no, not for a couple days and asked why. And she had mentioned that they had received a message from him that made them all worried and that a lot of people were trying to get a hold of him and that nobody could. And so I tried to send him some messages. But of course, I was at work and I actually had to meet with somebody for a post-conference of an observation after school that day. And she was videoing me. her master's class. So it was really hard to get through, but I got through that. And then um, lots of text messages back and forth between my mom and my sister-in-law and my husband and all trying to figure out who last had talked to him and what messages. And it came to the point that everybody agreed that it was not looking good. And the message he had sent to my sister-in-law was the most alarming. And of course that was the one that got forwarded and shared with everybody
1: being at work and my mom called, which she usually doesn't call me during the day because she knows I'm working. My grandmother was old, she was in her 90s, and she always had, when she'd leave me a message, the first thing she would say is, it's not grandma, and then she'd say whatever she needed because she knew that I would panic when she called thinking that something had happened to our grandma. And I checked the message because it was the middle of the day and I could hear in her voice, she said, it's not grandma, but I need you to call me back. You could tell she was super upset.
2: It was near Christmas and my parents had a New Year's party every year. My dad was a truck driver. With Christmas being right then and me being a nurse and him being a truck driver, we always tried to change our schedules to where we could celebrate Christmas and New Year's. My mom is a teacher and she drove to be with us during her time off and dad would come on his stretch off in between the trucks and we celebrated Christmas on the 26th the next day um, we kind of hung out and then the next day dad had to go back to work which was a Sunday afternoon and we said goodbye we actually had a big brunch with a bunch of friends of ours that were in town at that time it was really nice to be able to hang out with all of our family and then dad said goodbye like he always did and he went to a, he left to go to work that night on sunday afternoon my husband tells a story about how he asked if he wanted to put ice meltdown because it was getting slippery and he's like no nah, don't worry about it i remember i um, just saying bye dad see you on wednesday um he, he always called my mom at eight thirty at night on his breaks and monday night he tried to call but there was a bronco game and we were at a friend's house um and so mom's phone was not near her and we always just try to call him back and we called him back like at midnight i think and on another break of his and said goodbye to him after the bronco game when we were settling in Um, but he didn't answer so we just left him a message and then on tuesday night my husband and i actually went to a movie And we came back and we were playing cards and asked how the night went with mom and the kids. And she said, it was weird that your dad didn't call. So I tried to call him and he hasn't called me back. And this was, we were probably home at about 9.30 and he always called at 8.30. And uh, so I said, well, well, that's weird. So I tried to call him and he didn't answer. Uh, So we were just like, well, maybe he just got busy with the truck. The next morning and we came back and... Mom was standing in the kitchen on the phone with somebody and the look on her face was just disbelief. She wasn't crying. She wasn't anything. She was just like in disbelief and we were just like, you know, I just kind of, I took over the kids. John went into our bedroom. My mom went into our bedroom because it was loud. The kids were running around and mom was like taking notes. I probably 10 to 15 minutes had passed. and. My husband came out to the kitchen and he said, Nicole, we need to talk to you. And I said, what? And he goes, just come here for a minute. I said, okay. So we went into the bedroom and he shut the door.
0: So my mom called the police and they started looking for him and they tracked his phone. And they found his phone at a park. By that time, I was at home with my husband and my children. And we were just waiting to get news, no matter what the news was. And so we were sharing with all of our friends and communicating, um, asking for prayers. And that was probably the hardest part was just to sit and wait and try to keep myself busy and not think about it, what the um, possibilities were. Although somewhere in the back of my head, I knew what it was gonna be. And in the middle of the night, uh, we got a phone call from my mom saying that they found him and that he had taken his own life. And she couldn't talk much more than that. And I remember getting a lot of phone calls. I remember crying on the couch Um, And being in shock and just not really knowing where to go from there.
1: So I called her back and was sitting in a conference room at work just returning her phone call. And she told me my cousin had passed away and she said that he had killed himself. She didn't know anything else about it. She said that they had just found him and that I needed to call my sister. I went back to my desk. I remember not even logging off my computer. I grabbed my purse. I didn't even talk to my boss. I talked to the person that sat beside me and said, I'm out. I got to go. be back sometime and just
2: left and he just was looking at my mom waiting for her to say something and he said do you want to tell nicole what happened or do you want me to and she said your dad shot himself this morning and i said i mean i don't i don't even remember I said what is he alive and she said no and i said what do you mean? And I, I, in fact, I think I, like, screamed and sobbed and fell to the floor.
3: And I didn't know what suicide meant. I didn't know what I was supposed to feel or how I was supposed to react. I just knew that I felt this immense sadness, but I didn't know what to do with it. I remember going up to my room and I remember turning on music. And to this day, anytime I hear that song that was playing right there and then, I'm back in that room. I'm back with those feelings, and I'm back with that pain. She was my first love. She was my first kiss. And even though we had grown apart at that point in our lives, it still hurt. Now, I felt as though I was supposed to go through the normal steps of each day. Go to school, do homework, go to sports. I even felt so confused about what life was supposed to be like that I didn't attend her funeral. And that's a decision that I still regret to this day. In every instance of suicide loss, I feel guilty, like I'm not supposed to be allowed to feel sad or angry or that a piece of me is gone. But it is. And instead, I'm left in a perpetual cycle of what ifs and if onlys. What was the initial reaction of the people around you?
0: People felt sorry and sad. A lot of, I'm so sorry. What can I do to help you? Or a lot of people would just say, I'm here, so support. Some people wanted to know the situation or the story, and they would ask questions, and others would not ask at all. But just let me know that they were there. They love me. Shock. I think a lot of people were shocked.
1: It was interesting, because as soon as I told people what happened, more people than not had said, oh, this happened to me. Oh, this happened to me too. This happened to my neighbor, my cousin, my brother. And I didn't know that. I mean, they never shared that. So you don't realize how many people have been affected until you start talking about it. And I think from the beginning, I wasn't afraid to say, that's how he died. And I think that that was really helpful for me to process with people and for people to connect with me and to just be able to talk it out. You don't have to understand it at the time to be honest about it. And I think that that was really helpful to just have that honesty with people and a lot of people were really great, some people were interesting about it, um, to say the least, but the reactions you get of, well, are you mad, well, how did he do it, I'm not going to tell you that. You know, it, it's too personal for me and it doesn't help anybody to share that information.
4: I would say there was a huge outpouring of support and by the time they got it to mom's house, I think they were through four of their friends there. and.
2: My husband helped us try to start calling people because my mom and I could barely speak. He was affected also, but you know, he could speak a little easier than us. And he called the people that we had the brunch with, and they were over there within minutes. And then there were people at our house, at my mom's house, when we got there. And some of the best friends that my parents had, you know, they were just like, what can we do? And, you know, got dinner and brought, started bringing food and... It was, yeah, very outpouring.
3: When you came across people that weren't quite sure exactly what to say, what do you, why do you think that that was their immediate reaction or feeling?
0: I think if you've never been put in that situation, where you've never experienced something like that yourself, you're worried that you're going to say or do the wrong thing. And I think some people didn't know what was the best way. I felt like a like, delicate, like they were scared to go one way or the other, um, that I would, like, easily lose control, you know, or break down. And I had a couple moments like that, but I think most people just, um, I said, unsure of how to respond.
1: I think that it's just been so stigmatized. I mean, there's almost just a lack of people that just are so afraid to say, my loved one died like this, or my friend died like this, because... It looks like to them, they didn't try hard enough. They didn't love them enough. They didn't take care of them enough. And it's almost like they feel like they failed. So that's why you don't want to admit it. And I can feel that. I mean, I understand that too. I mean, my aunt felt that. All of my cousins felt that. I felt that. Everybody feels that. But I think realizing that there's so many people that feel the same way, that's how you can get past that. But I can understand. It's just a, it's not really a shame. It's just a, I could have fixed this, and I didn't. So that kind of is, I think, how people are feeling sometimes.
3: Can you think back to something that you were told, or someone that had talked to you that really that really helped you start the grieving process?
0: I think, from what I've heard from a lot of people, a couple of people who have experienced losses in their life, not necessarily you know, by losing someone like a sibling, or losing someone by suicide, or whatever it is, but just... Uh, people who have experienced loss and everyone's at a different stage in that. But the concept of grief bubbles and they would sometimes hit me when I was at work and I had a couple people at work who were understanding and everyone at work knew my situation because I had sent a message out and I was gone, you know, for a week and what was going on. But I felt like a, like a ghost kind of, like when I came back, like I wasn't myself and I was just going through the motions and wandering around and then I finally got back into you know, the day-to-day working, and and every now and then I would have a moment that I would just have to step out or I would have to get up and leave, and it would hit me at times and I wasn't expecting it, and I remember somebody acknowledging that and telling me it was okay and asking me, do you need to leave? Do you want to stay? What do you want to do? At this point, they were very accepting and understanding, and that was really appreciative, but the, the grief bubbles, I think, is the one thing that people who have gone through any kind of loss or experience, they have been able to understand and kind of walk me through to acknowledge the feelings and the emotions and the thoughts when they happen and to not ignore them or push them aside. And that everybody's different and everybody handles it differently and deals with it in a different way. And that no one's grief passage or story is the same and that it's unique and it's going, it's not a timeline. There tends to be some stages that are rough that some people follow and it, um, it's not a straight linear line and it goes back and forth and that that just to listen to yourself and do what you need to do for your own healing
1: I think just knowing dealing with the loss that grief isn't linear some people would expect you you know it's been five years why aren't you over it some days I get through only thinking about it in the back of your mind but some days are terrible and I think that being okay and knowing that you're not going to get on this perfect path of healing and processing and then you're never going to think about it again. I think just knowing that it goes up and down and it can go up and down every day. Just knowing that that's okay and like people know that they need to reach out on those down days and reach out to other people on your up days and kind of be a community and support each other. If you're comfortable going to therapy, that was absolutely helpful for me. Having someone that just could listen, that was professionally trained to handle grief and to work through that with me. I think the local chapter of AFSP is great. They have resources. They can point you in the direction of some support groups. I personally never went to those, but I know that a lot of people that I know found some really great friends and people that they can connect with and people that they can process through their feelings with. And there's tons of those all over that meet on different days, different times, everywhere. So that's incredibly helpful. I think just being able to have friends that you can talk to about this and that understand sometimes you're going to be fine and sometimes on a random Tuesday, you're not going to be fine. Just finding those people that you're okay with and there's always going to be those people in your life. It's just kind of letting them know and working through that with them as well, too.
2: Um, I have a really good uh, friend of mine who I was a nurse with she was one of the managers on our floor at the time and she wasn't working there when when it happened she had moved on but her husband is a pastor of a like a southern baptist church and they run they ran like eight support groups and she was just on my heart to call her and one of the big things that she had uh, mentioned to us i think it was the morning of his rotary So we called. I just had called her and said I needed to talk with her, and was she available? And she said, usually this woman is busy, busy, and isn't available, but I didn't even tell her why, but she said, something told me I had to call you right away. And I was like, well, of course it was God, you know? Mm -hmm. So she, I had just kind of explained to her what had happened, and she said, well, you're going to grieve when you're going to grieve, and it's going to be okay. She said, one of the things that I need to tell you is when I lost both of my parents within six months of each other, people would approach me and ask me why I wasn't grieving. And of course I was grieving. She said I would just do it in my own way. And for me to uh, be able to grieve in my own way, but know that when I wasn't grieving, grieving and sobbing and That I knew that God was with me and that He was helping me carry me through those times. And she said, I need you and your sister to know that because if your sister's anything like you, you guys are very faith filled people and that God is going to carry you through this. So don't let anybody ever say, if you're, why aren't you grieving? Why aren't you sobbing about this? Why aren't you, how are you able to talk about this? And that was one of the most strength filled things that I could have. I think that I could have heard because that's how I was feeling like there was times where I was absolutely losing it but then feeling like I was just being held and of course I was being held so it reminded me of the footprints in the sand that you know when when you see the footprints when it's when there's not two sets of footprints it's because he's carrying you and that's absolutely true in our family and our in our beliefs
3: in most cases, when we, when we tell people, and you had mentioned this too, you have that initial burst of support. Those people that are around you that have the shared experience and they, they want to give you all the love that they can and give you advice. But eventually, that slows down. How, do, how did you move forward after that initial burst of support slowed down? That was hard um, because there were people everywhere all
1: the time for a little while. And then it was hard because I was ready to talk about it And I don't know that everybody else was. And so I sat there and it's just my personality of, okay, now what can I do to fix it? Uh, This happened to me. What can I do to help somebody else? And I think that's just always been my life. And so I reached out to um, the local chapter of American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. I reached out and said, what can I do? I need help. Um, I want to help other people. And he put me in contact with some people down in Des Moines, and I just started meeting with them and volunteering any way I could with events they had going on, getting information. I felt like the only way for me to process through was to try to help anybody else from not feeling this way. So that's kind of how I've continued for five years, is just trying to prevent anybody else from having to deal with what our family had to deal with.
3: Has there ever been a place that you've been in where there there kind of felt like there was an elephant in the room? where you seem to feel like some someone wanted to say something, but they didn't?
0: Yeah, we went to the family reunion this last summer on my mom's side of the family. So we've lost four people, two of them within the last year, and we only go every other year, and we all get together and spend the week in anticipation. I'm always excited for these because we do them every two years. And in anticipation for this one, I was really nervous and scared and the, the drive down and I was anxious because I didn't know what it was going to be like and, and it's awkward and when you first see people, do you are you happy and you greet or are you sad because you want to give them a hug? Do you talk about what's happened? Do you not talk about what's happened? Um, lots of tiptoeing around. Do we mention the person's name? Do we not mention the person's name? Do we talk about them in past tense? And I think for most of the week, a lot of us just ignored it and just kind of went on like it was a normal reunion and every now and then in conversations, it would come up that we would talk about, you know, my brother, my cousin, whoever, and most of the time, it was always in a positive. We would talk about ways, things, memories we had, and things we could remember, and um, like we were trying to keep them alive and part of the family, but don't feel like we acknowledged a lot about the loss.
1: I remember uh, Christmas had been two years ago now. We were taking some pictures because my grandmother, again, was very old, and we were pretty sure it was about the end of uh, the holidays with her. and we were taking little family pictures and when my aunt and uncle and cousin got up to take a picture with her, I had to walk out of the room, I couldn't watch it because it just wasn't right, something was missing. And I think that times like that are when you're just frozen and can't really say anything. And But I didn't want to make them feel bad because they were clearly up you know, dealing with it, smiling in a picture, but who knows how they were feeling either. I didn't feel like I had the right to be upset one in that situation.
3: If there's someone that is experiencing the loss right now as they're listening to this it's it's that fresh what would be what would be something you would say to them what is the the hope that you would want to give them
0: that even though it hurts it's hard to be the one left behind lean on the people around you and uh, don't be angry at that person even though that's how you feel don't be angry forever most people in that situation from what i've learned now are not thinking about others and are not actually even not even thinking about themselves. That it's not a selfish act. And that's not your fault. And there's nothing you could have done to stop it. And so the best thing you can do is remember the person and acknowledge that you loved
4: them. Don't blame yourself. Replace the what ifs with even if.
2: And that your story will be hard to go through. It doesn't get any easier to know that they have gone before us in whatever way they take themselves, but that your story is going to help somebody else at some point.
3: Replace the what-ifs with even-ifs. I want to thank my guests, Nicole, Heidi, Kendra, and Nicole, for their willingness to share their personal stories, struggles, and memories related to such a tragic loss in their lives. Each of these four individuals is dedicated to suicide prevention efforts in their communities and hopes that no one has to experience the pain of suicide loss. But if you do experience loss, Nicole, Heidi, Kendra, and Nicole want you to know that you are not grieving alone. If you have experienced loss due to suicide, I hope that these stories provided you with strength and hope as you are facing tomorrow. As these four guests would attest, the pain of loss does not get easier, but you don't have to feel that pain alone. I'm recording this on the 23rd anniversary of my first experience with loss due to suicide. While things have certainly changed in life, the loss still hurts. For additional guidance, seek out your local support groups or organizations like the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Also, connect with local groups passionate about supporting survivors and about prevention efforts. Locally here, there are groups like Stand for the Silent, Project Silence No More, and Stories for Tomorrow. Also, there are some truly incredible books available on this topic. Now also, as mentioned, build a community of support around you. There are events happening all throughout the United States and the world that you can tap into. The next big event on the list is the International Survivors of Suicide Loss Day on November 23rd. Most importantly, reach out. Know that you never have to walk alone. Please listen in next time when we will be speaking with Leah DeMarist, therapist, counselor, and public speaker at Flourishing Engagements. As we leave, I encouraged our guests to share a fond memory of their loved ones, a light forever shining through the darkness for each of these strong individuals. What's the best memory that you hold to of your cousin?
1: Probably when we were little, we would always be at my grandma's and him and his twin sister. They were the youngest at the time. My sister, I said, is 12 years younger than me, so she wasn't around at the time. But I have two older cousins, myself, and then those the twins. We would always be over there just playing games and playing in the basement and playing with all the toys and playing He-Man and Batman and stuff like that. I just remember all those days being over there every Sunday and then all the time during the summer when she was taking care of us.
3: What is the one thing you always are able to think about with regard to your father that makes you smile?
2: (laughs) I have to say this. This has to go down. (laughs) When we were sitting and getting ready to put together what was going to go on his stone, we were talking about Well, his name was Daniel, but he always went by Dan. And they said, well, do you want Dan or Daniel on it? And Mom said, well, the only time he was ever Daniel was when he was in trouble. And I was like, well, he's in trouble. We should put (laughs) Daniel down on it. We put Dan on it, but still, it was just, that's always kind of been (laughs) something that we've chuckled about.
4: Just remembering the good parts of them and, like, we'll be together and... He, if there's like any crumbs left over, like in the bottom of the bag or whatever, I don't know. Some people, <laughs> some people like, you know, kind of tip it and make a boat out of it. Some people, I, I don't know, how are you going to get the crumbs? Or are you just going to throw them away? Well, dad always like got the end of the bag and kind of tipped it into his mouth. And so <laughs> we call it dadding it. we going to dad it. Oh, oh, so Jeez. sometimes when we get to the bottom of the bag or whatever, you dad it? No, no, I dad it last time. You dad it.
3: <laughs> what is the one memory that can always make you smile about your brother?
0: I have too many. Um, oh my gosh, I have so many. I used to run around naked on the farm, pee wherever we wanted. We rolled the three-wheeler together. I let him ride in front of me, and we tipped it over on top of us. I ran him over with the three-wheeler by accident. He always had to win. He always had to be right. Snowboarding with him. Even though I didn't know how to snowboard, I sat on my butt the whole way down. And he took to it right away. Watching him play football when he came up to visit at you And he stopped to say hi to me. It's hard to imagine. Because I still picture him as, like, my little baby brother. Which he grew into an adult. So I think I'll always picture him as a baby. Or as a little kid so i try to keep those memories and remember all the good things and try not to think about how much he was hurting and how much pain he was in i don't know it's hard but every day it gets a little better and i know it'll never be the same and i know dynamics and things have changed around me because of it and i think i've changed because of it i'll never be the same person one of the quotes i've seen is try to be the good things and try to show the good things in the people that you've lost. So I try to think, if he was here, what would he say? What would he do? What kind of person would he be? And then I'm gonna try to keep some of that going.